it does seem to be true. At least in Sri Lanka at that time. When people were to leave our company, there was absolutely no certainty of seeing them ever again. He had appeared from somewhere. Then, as if into thin air, evaporated, leaving only memory, leaving only silence. On this episode of Orders in Decay, we will be taking a trip to the country of Sri Lanka, traveling in a time capsule and exploring the 26-year civil war. We will be visiting ghosts. We will be investigating disappearances. We will be seeking truth and finally learning the ramifications of the lack of it. Today, we focus on the concept of disappearance and memory. Through exploring the history of the Sri Lankan Civil War, its modern-day repercussions, and the story of Arjun, a symbol of the forgotten stories in Sri Lanka, today, we will see that the Sri Lankan Civil War never ended, and perhaps may never end. The land of serendipity, or Sri Lanka, is an island off the southern coast of India, often referred to as the pearl of the Indian Ocean or the teardrop of India. A country that boasts beautiful coastlines and beaches, known for its exotic wildlife and its ancient ruins. Serendipity, named after Serendip, which was what Sri Lanka was once called by the Arabs and Persians. The irony in the name Serendipity a word so beautifully associated with happiness, peace, and unexpected luck. Yet this country's identity today has been tarnished and colored by the blood, pain, and trauma of the victims of the Sri Lankan Civil War. The Sri Lankan Civil War was a brutal conflict that lasted nearly three decades, an ethnic and religious conflict between the Sinhalese and the Sri Lankan Tamils. Bloodshed, torture, trauma, disappearance. The Mulli Vaikal massacre was seen to symbolize the end of the civil war in 2009. But did it really end? Through the course of the civil war, not only was there an estimated death toll of 100,000, but there were estimated to be over 20,000 people who disappeared. In this podcast, the idea of disappearance is a symbol of how the Sri Lankan civil war did not end. It is a symbol of the lack of closure, lack of truth, and a mask of the true brutality that occurred. It could have been said, to begin around the time of 1972, when Sri Lanka was established as the Republic of Sri Lanka and was no longer a dominion of the British Commonwealth. This was when a Tamil separatist movement began to gain momentum as an increasing number of armed Tamil groups began to emerge in different parts of Sri Lanka. This led to the establishment of the Liberation Tigers of Tamil Elam, or LTTE, which was led by Velu Pillai Prabhakaran, 
they are known today famously as the Tamil Tigers. And much like the image of the name, have been associated with the image of brutality, ruthlessness, and torture. And thus began the horrible decade of the 1990s in Sri Lanka, which witnessed a slew of suicide bombings, killings, and disappearances. Former Indian Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi and Sri Lankan President Rana Singh Premadasa were among those whose lives were taken and were indicative of the ruthless efforts that were taken by the Tamil Tigers. There was no fear on their part. But where was all this anger coming from? The roots of the ethnic conflict in Sri Lanka ran deep and Sinhalese supremacy was established long before the Sri Lankan civil war even began. The Sinhalese sought to claim their place in Sri Lankan society after Tamil favoritism during colonial times. The Sinhalese government implemented various policies to do so, most significantly by passing the Sinhala Only Act in 1956 by the Bandar Naike government. This was deeply symbolic of Sinhalese supremacy over the Tamil community. The act meant that all official documents and government notices were all written in Sinhala. Isolating an entire community of native Tamil speakers who are unable to understand or read the language. The passing of the bill triggered riots and protests among the Tamil community. And it continued. The Sri Lankan school curriculum was also monolithic with an enhanced focus on Sinhalese and Buddhist history and ideologies, completely glossing over any significance of the Tamil community. Hate crimes against the Tamil community began to increase. The Jaffna Public Library was burnt down by a Sinhalese mob in 1981, destroying thousands of Tamil literature, historical documents and artefacts. This was the destruction of the sanctity of the written word, a strong symbol of Tamil history and culture. This was the beginning of Tamil cultural genocide that contributed to the start of the Sri Lankan civil war. The LTTE sought self-determination for the Tamil community in Sri Lanka and were fighting against years of discrimination in post-colonial nation building by the majority Sinhalese population. Sri Lanka was being divided along ethnic lines, pitting the majority Buddhist Sinhalese dominated government against the LTTE and the larger Tamil community. The Sri Lankan Civil War officially began on the 23rd of July, 1983. The year is 1999. Arjun Cholakar was 23 when he disappeared. He had gone out for drinks with his university friends, a typical Friday after a long week of engineering school. Arjun and his three friends would never be seen again. The next morning, his girlfriend Jyoti called him to confirm they would be meeting for coffee later that day. 
his phone did not ring. She called and called. Nothing. The silence began. Sadly, it never stopped. She was pregnant. He didn't know. His parents did not know about her. Neither did hers know about him. This beautiful island of Sri Lanka has become home to the second highest number of enforced disappearances in the world. Those of whom were mostly ethnic Tamils, suspected of working or being in alliance with the LTTE. According to Article 2 of the International Convention for the Protection of All Persons from Enforced Disappearance, enforced disappearance is the arrest, detention, abduction, or any other form of deprivation of liberty by the state, followed by a refusal to acknowledge the deprivation of liberty or whereabouts by the disappeared person, placing them outside the law's protection. It has been criminalized under Article 7 of the Rome Statute as a crime against humanity. Enforced disappearance has long been used as a military strategy to spread terror, and that is precisely what it achieved during the Sri Lankan Civil War. Under international law, any credible allegations of enforced disappearances are required to be investigated. The UN was able to find and provide credible allegations of enforced disappearances of Tamil civilians. And yet, nothing seemed to be done about it. Five weeks had gone by. Jyothi knew. She knew something was wrong. There was no denying it by this point. Her friends had stopped asking her. She was thinking of ways to hide her baby bump. She had heard that loved ones of people who had disappeared had begun to protest quietly in Colombo. One day, she managed to slip away from home early in the morning and took the train to the city centre. She joined the protest alone, blending in with many other families, holding a picture of Arjun that she had printed out. The protest was strong, but she could tell from the tired, defeated faces of many of the people around her, possibilities were bleak. An elderly woman tapped her on the shoulder and asked her who was missing. She said, the man I love and the father of my child. The elderly woman looked down and saw Jyothi's baby bump. She placed her hand on it gently and said, May Shiva bless you, dear. They stood in solidarity for the next few hours, among a crowd, holding on for hope, holding on for justice, holding on for answers. How do we mourn disappearance? We simply cannot have a funeral for someone we don't know is dead. To cremate or bury a coffin with no body in it. 
we cannot move on while we still have a glimmer of hope that our loved one might walk home to us in the morning. Nine months had gone by. It was 2000. Jyothi lay in a dark room with two of the village midwives by her side. It was time. She screamed in pain, alone, wishing Arjun could have been with her. Her family had disowned her for having a bastard child. She held on to the midwives as the only support she had. She followed their instructions, pushing and weeping in desperation for it to be over. And with one final push, she heard the piercing sound of her baby's cry. It was a boy. In between sweat and tears, everything was a blur until she was handed the baby. Her baby boy, staring up into her eyes, she saw Arjun. This baby was all she had left of her love. Prabhu, she would call him, named after Arjun's father, just like he would have wanted, she knew. She held on to Prabhu, feeling the last and only semblance of Arjun she had left. Crying softly into his soft head, as she was terrified of beginning this journey. The year was 2005. Prabhu was five. It had been almost six years since Arjun's disappearance. There was loud knocking on the door, even before the sun had risen. Jyoti got up, rubbing her eyes Questioning if she was dreaming, the banging got louder. She opened the rattan door to find three military officials standing before her. They pushed past her and let themselves in. What was this about? She thought to ask. But suddenly she knew. She had been warned by the other families of the disappeared that they too had been visited by the officials. They asked her routine questions about who lived with her, what her income was, whether she was doing okay. Seemingly harmless questions, but they were asked with vicious, spine-chilling tones to scare her and taunt her. They had seen her at the protests, found her. These were subtle threats, she knew, for her to be aware that they knew where she lived, where her son went to school. They knew how to get to her if she caused any trouble. The persecution of the Tamil community was not a thing of the past. Tamil statues were still vandalized and defaced as recently as 2020 by Sinhalese civilians. Tamil Hindu temples and cemeteries were destroyed 
with Buddhist viharas built in their place. There was so much resentment towards the Tamil community. Parents would villainize them to their children, warning them of the danger and their associations with the LTTE, saying these Tamils did not belong in Sri Lanka. Domestic processes and the Sinhalese-dominated government only amplified this. How were we to prevent discrimination when it was simply written into a country's policy? The year was 2010. Prabhu was 10. It had been almost 11 years since his father's disappearance. The civil war had officially been said to end the year before. Jyoti finally decided it was safe to stop homeschooling Prabhu and send him to a proper school. Prabhu came home on the third day of school with his lip bleeding, on the fourth day of school with a black eye, and on the sixth day of school with his entire body bruised. They say I'm bad because I'm Tamil. Everyone had been asked about their parents on the first day. Prabhu, not knowing any better, had said his mother was Jyoti and that he never knew his father, who had been taken away before he was born. The bullies had probed, and once they found out he was a Tamil, started calling him Tamil Tiger Rebel. No wonder your father was taken away. He was a rebel and deserved to be killed. They would say, while beating him up. One day you'll be killed too, you disgusting Tamil. Jyoti felt her heart drop when Prabhu finally told her this. Every day when he left for school, she was terrified that he would not return. On the outset, it seemed that post-war reconciliation was being attempted. But these were simply masks. Just as disappearances were masks for the true brutality that was occurring during the civil war, the government's attempt at reconstruction was a mask to cover up and shift the focus away from the allegations of disappearances and human rights violations that had taken place. After the civil war, the government, headed by former President Mahinda Rajapaksa, had spent millions of dollars on post-war reconstruction. And yet, reconciliation was not reached and persecution and discrimination continued. Attempts at reconstruction were seen in material restoration and renovation. The civil war had left many of the highly populated Tamil areas like Mandar and Jaffna in shambles, rubbled from explosions, worn out from the rioting and bloodshed. As part of post-war reconstruction efforts, the government had built new roads, buildings, and better architecture. A material transformation, but had the root of the problem really been fixed? The people were not asking for new shopping malls, for smoother roads, and for more modern architecture. All they asked for was the truth. The main issue seen within the Sri Lankan civil war and the state's misguided efforts towards reconciliation centered 
on this lack of transparency, accountability, and revelation of truth. I am reminded of the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission slogan, revealing is healing. There has been no healing, and there can be no healing without truth. The country began garnering international attention. As the public began understanding the magnitude of what had been going on in Sri Lanka, there was international pressure for the Sri Lankan government to set up official investigations for people who had disappeared. For a long time, the government was resistant and in complete denial. There were simply no disappearances, they had said. But finally, in 2016, the OMP, Office of Missing Persons, was established by the government, led by President Maithripala Sirisena. This was supposed to be a step in the direction of transitional justice. And the said aim of the OMP was to locate the thousands of missing persons as part of Sri Lanka's commitment to the UN Human Rights Council to promote reconciliation, accountability, and human rights. Victims accused the government of establishing the OMP just to get international pressure off them. And so, it served to be a futile strategy to divert attention away from actually achieving transitional justice. It never provided any answers. The end of January 2020. Prabhu was 20. Almost 21 years since his father's disappearance. Jyothi and him sat in their living room eagerly waiting for the news to start. President Rajapaksa met with UN officials today in the capital city of Colombo in Sri Lanka regarding the thousands of allegations of missing persons during the Sri Lankan civil war. When asked about the missing people, Mr. Rajapaksa acknowledged for the first time that the over 20,000 missing people are dead. He stated that in due time, steps would be taken to issue death certificates to these individuals. Prabhu turned off the TV immediately. He held on to his mother's hand. They were not surprised, but perhaps deep down all these years, they had the smallest bit of hope that Arjun was still alive somewhere and would come back to them. But this single cavalier statement from the president were all the families of the disappeared were given. Absolutely no remorse, no grievances, as if these 20,000 lives meant nothing. The Sri Lankan civil war did not end. And perhaps it may never end. The civil war began and was triggered by feelings of injustice and discrimination by the LTTE on behalf of the Tamil community. This discrimination has continued. The Tamil community were and have continued to be treated like strangers in their own country, not recognized as legitimate victims 
worthy of any reparation or justice. Despite protests year after year about missing people, despite pleading with the police, despite appealing to international bodies, they have been unheard by the state, ignored by the law. Although the leaders of the LTTE were killed during the civil war, support for the movement still persists. Frustration and anger are still present. The same thread of discrimination that sparked the anger and fervor that began the civil war is just brewing under the surface. Who is to say that history will not repeat itself? What is dormant can easily be woken up again. <laughs>